Hello, goblins and ghouls, and welcome to my Haunted Life podcast. I'm your host, Angela Hartshorn. On this week's episode, I'm continuing the campfire stories and telling you all about a tragic murder of a young woman whose ghost now visits those out camping near Big Moose Lake. Good morning, my spooky babes, my creatures of the night. How are you all doing today? I hope it's great, because you're just awesome sauce. I'm still recovering from all of last week's activities, so I'm taking time to get ahead on the podcast, so that's kind of exciting. We'll see how far I get. As of this recording, I have the next episode written, and most of the episode after that written. Woo woo. I'm not sure after that. I have a lot of them research, but we'll see. Uh, the cats, the, the lovely podcasts, have really hindered productivity around here. You would think I was gone for much longer than, honestly, less than a week with the way they're clinging to me. And they've gotten fun visits to the vet this week, too. So that's been really helping, let me tell you. Some housekeeping. You could probably hear it in my throat, how tired I am still. Some housekeeping. I realized last week that I forgot to mention. I'm looking for people that would be interested in helping with evidence reviewing. That's always the thing that trips me up when it comes to ghost hunting, finding the time to go over the evidence, which, let's be honest, it's kind of the most important part. So, I'm looking for anyone who might be willing to help, plus getting an unbiased opinion on evidence I think is really, really important. So, if you're interested, Email me at myhauntedlifepodcast.com, or no, myhauntedpodcast at gmail.com, and let's talk about it. Let's see how it goes. On this week's episode, I'm telling you all about the ghost of Grace Brown, who haunts Big Moose Lake in the Adirondack Mountains. Her story is horrific. It's every girl's nightmare, let's be honest. Grace was tragically murdered by the man she loved while out boating on Big Moose Lake and now makes herself known to campers and visitors to the area. It's literally a ghost you can come across around a campfire. So let's get into it, shall we? Grab yourself a cup of tea or, you know, hot chocolate around the campfire. That sounds lovely. Make sure the doors are locked and the sage is close by. I have a story to tell you. That fall, Linda Lee and her childhood friend, Bridget McMahon, chose Big Moose Lake as a site for one of their periodic reunions. But from the start, Linda Lee was inexplicably nervous, on edge. 
I wasn't thinking ghosts. I just felt very uncomfortable, and I thought that I would, by looking out a window or looking in a mirror, I would see something that I did not want to see. On the second night, Linda Lee tried to ignore her feelings of unease, even daring a stroll alone. I'm walking down toward the lake with my flashlight, and the light is getting dimmer and dimmer. By the time I, I got to the edge of the lake and the rocks, my flashlight wasn't working. So I had to turn around and go back and get Bridget. Not only didn't I have light, but no way was I staying out in the dark without a companion. Bridget did not take Linda Lee's jitters seriously, but agreed to be a good sport and come along. Do you hear that? It's the loons. The loons are out there. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Oh, such a nice break from the city. I had never seen anything like this. It was a ribbon of smoke that just seemed to hover uh, near us and almost uh, call to our attention. I was awestruck. And not only uh, was I certain that it, I was looking at a ghost, but I had a very strong feeling of sadness. Um, she was very sad. Had Linda Lee seen a ghost? Or had it been her overwrought imagination? The next day, while crossing the lobby of the Covewood Lodge, Linda Lee spotted memorabilia about Chester Gillette and Grace Brown. When I saw the photograph of Grace Brown, it was if I'd been hit by a brick. I knew it was Grace Brown who I'd seen. Big Moose Lake is a relatively large body of water located in the Anadirondack Mountains in New York. Three miles long and one mile wide, it covers a total of 1,265 acres and reaches 70 feet at its deepest point. It's pretty freaking deep for a lake. It is the source of the Moose Rivers, all of which flow into the Great Lakes. Big Moose Lake takes its name from the nearby settlement of Big Moose, which was founded by hunters. Today, the lake is well known as a tourist spot each year having many visitors head in for sailing, rowing, and other water sports. It is surrounded by thick pine forests and marshland that is home to deer, bear, moose, of course, and many others, including loons. This beautiful, picturesque area, however, was the site of the murder of Grace Brown in 1906.
Grace grew up on a dairy farm in South Oslick in Chenango County, New York. Wanting to leave the farm behind, Brown came to Cortland to work at the Gillette Shirt Factory. This is the early 1900s. That's pretty damn independent for a woman to be like, no, I'm going to go make my life somewhere else. I, I just, I think it shows she's a badass. This is unfortunately where she met the nephew of the owner of the factory, Chester Gillette. Gillette was originally from Montana and bounced around from place to place before his wealthy uncle took him under his wing and hired him at the skirt factory. I think he was a foreman, if I remember correctly, of some kind. As soon as Grace and Gillette met, they became pretty smitten pretty quick, and the two began dating in secret. Yes, secret. So we know this is going to end really well. As a girl from a farm and a factory worker, she wasn't quite up to the standard of Gillette's family. He was considered to be a great catch in town. Handsome, comes from wealth, that kind of thing. Doesn't matter if he has a personality. He didn't want to let anyone know that he was dating a lowly factory girl besides that. He continued to be seen around town with other women that fit his economic and familial stature, all the while sneaking off to see Grace when no one else was looking. Her friends, who apparently knew, tried to warn her about him, but she was just too blinded by love to see how he was doing her wrong. I mean, who among us? She was only 20. Like, seriously. He was 23. This reminds me of that meme that states, who was the worst person you've ever met and why was it your boyfriend you had when you were 19? I know I've been. I, I've basically been there. So I feel so much for this poor girl. Soon enough, though, in May of 1906... Grace found herself pregnant. Remember, it's 1906. At the time, ed unwed mothers became outcasts from society. Grace went back to her family's farm, where she and Gillette corresponded by the letters. I really couldn't find anything if her parents knew about the pregnancy at the time. I think that came later. Most of these letters have been saved, and you can find them online. They've been, like, published in books about this case. They really show Grace's mental state. Like, the poor thing. One reads, My dear Chester, I am writing to tell you that I am coming back to Cortland. I simply can't stay here any longer. Mama worries and wonders why I cry so much. And I am just about sick. Please come and take me away to some place, dear. I came up here this morning, and I just can't help crying all the time, as I did that night. My headache 
is dreadful tonight. I'm afraid you won't come, and I am so frightened, dear. I know you will think it queer, but I can't help it. You have said you will come, and sometimes I just know you will. But then I think of other things, and I am just as certain you won't come. I want you to write me, dear, just as soon as you get this, and tell me the exact date you can come. I will come back in a little while. I can't stay here, dear, and please don't ask me too much longer. June 20th, 1906. In another letter, Grace writes, if I die, I hope then you can be happy. I hope I can die. The doctors say I will, and then you can do just as you like. Oh dear, please come and take me away. I want you tonight, and I am so blue. June 21st, 1906. Grace finally, oh, I'm sorry, Gillette, there we go, finally wrote, to her that he would take her away on a romantic outing to the mountains in July. Legend has it that Brown either assumed he was going to propose to her on this trip or she possibly thought they would actually get married while they were away. You know, a nice elopement in the mountains. Sounds romantic. The young couple spent the first night of their trip in Attica then took the train to Tupper Lake the second night. On July 11th, they took a train back towards Attica, stopping at Big Moose Lake along the way in Herkimer County. Gillette and Grace rented a canoe together and spent the afternoon floating on the lake. Grace reportedly left her trunk at the train station, which is apparently fairly common, not a big deal, they were just holding it for her kind of thing. Gillette, however, brought everything with him in the boat, including his suitcase, which had a tennis racket attached to it. The man that rented them the boat thought it was very strange that this guy literally brought everything with him, all of his stuff, onto this little canoe. I mean, it sounds like it was one suitcase, but still, it was weird. Brown had previously told Gillette in a letter that she was unable to swim. So the canoe, I don't think, was her idea. She was probably very nervous, but trusted the man she loved. And that was the last time Grace was seen alive. The couple never returned. So the following day, a search party went out. Rather than finding the couple stranded by wind as they had hoped, they found the boat overturned in the southern bay of Big Moose Lake. Grace's body was later found submerged with lacerations to the face and head. Here are some of the major points for from the coroner's report. So, um, heads up. It gets a little 
gets a little icky. So, female, well nourished, five foot one inch. Oh, she was my height. Approximately 105 to 110 pounds. Lips swollen and discolor discolored. Tip and nose presented a like appearance, somewhat flattened. Left cheek or molar bone presented a discoloration. Right central incisor or tooth was loose in its socket. Abrasion of the mucous membrane in the lip. This injury to the lip and teeth and nose had been inflicted before death. Black and blue spot on her cheek with a degree of swelling that had been inflicted before death. Point of discoloration on the scalp over the right side, about three inches above the ear. On incision, the injury extended beneath the scalp. The blood vessels were ruptured and hemorrhage that occurred at the point of injury. This injury was so great as to lacerate the blood vessels in the peristeneum, which is the membrane of blood vessels and nerves that wraps around most of your bones. And you know, that's where you get your sense of feeling and stuff like that. Beneath the periosteum, the blood had clotted about the size of a dime, and the injury had penetrated the skull into the brain matter beneath the skull. The injury had produced a small blood clot about the size of a nickel, and on the brain and the blood vessels in the brain were ruptured. This injury occurred before death and was necessarily such as to produce unconsciousness from shock. It also was discovered she was four months pregnant. It appears that around early evening, Gillette while on the canoe with the woman he said he loved carrying his child had smashed in poor Grace's head with the tennis racket and she fell into the water and drowned. Of course, her injuries probably would have done her in anyways, but the thing that killed her the quicker, quickest was the drowning. Gillette ran and hid in a nearby hotel, the Arrowhead Hotel in Inlet, and he was staying there under an alias, but three days later he was arrested for murder. Newspapers across upstate New York and beyond covered the event and subsequent trial. It was sensationalized. Like, it was... It was a big deal at the time. Huge. Huge. Gillette maintained his innocence. His trial at the courthouse in Herkimer 
was the most sensational ever held in the area, with hundreds coming to witness. Famous newsmen of the day, like Fat Bats Masterson, came from New York City. So I grew up, you know, doing Old West stuff with my mom. So it was like Fat Masterson. That was awesome. Total other random sidebar. Apparently, Grace would sign a lot of her letters, the kid, because she had this like slight obsession with Billy the kid. So I, I thought the Old West elements in there were cute. According to the November 21st, 1906 issue of the Post Standard, threats were made by various people to lynch Gillette. This included rushing the prisoner while he was being escorted to the courtroom. The attention surrounding the case led to crowds fighting, fighting for a chance to see the prisoner inside the courtroom. You know, it's a small courtroom, limited amount of seats. People would literally fight to get in. It's insane. During the trial, the defense claimed Brown had jumped into the lake committing suicide. They pointed to the letters Brown had written to Gillette, mentioning that she wanted to die. It kind of also shows her mental state. They asserted that Gillette stood up to save her and the boat capsized. The DA insisted Gillette had hit her over the head with the tennis racket and that did nothing to save her when she succumbed to the lake. On December 5th, 1906, after nearly five hours of deliberation, the jury found Gillette guilty of murder in the first degree and was sentenced to death by electric chair. He was reportedly calm and even smiling when his sentence was handed down. I mean, we already knew this, but what a real piece of shit. Like, seriously. Gillette was transferred from the Herkimer County Jail to the Auburn Prison, now Auburn Correctional Facility, where he was executed on March 30th, 1908. As his last day on earth was nearing closer, Gillette reportedly confessed to the murder to his spiritual advisors at the prison, who never revealed the exact details. Gillette's body was moved to nearby Seoul Cemetery, where it was buried in an unmarked grave. According to celebrity grave enthusiasts, the plot had a road paid, paved over it and the exact location of his grave is now unknown. Grace is buried in the Brown family plot in Valley View Cemetery in New York, but it appears that her spirit has never left Big Moose Lake. Right after this, I'll share with you some of the numerous sightings I found of Grace's spirit. One of the theories behind why hauntings happen is that someone needs to die a tragic death to become a ghost. Something with the energy getting stuck. And Grace's story is 
definitely tragic. Since her death, Grace has often been seen lurking sadly around the shores of Big Moose Lake. It appears our Grace has become a classic lady in white. She is often witnessed drowning. Other times, she is reported wandering around the lakeshore. Honestly, this seems to be the most reported thing, is her just wandering. Or visiting the small cottages and settlements nearby. For whatever reason, Grace seems to try to extinguish all the lights in the houses and camps. So just imagine you're out camping all of a sudden all your lights go out for no reason. If you're near Big Moose Lake, it could be Grace. It appears the best opportunity for an encounter, however, with our Grace is the Cobewood Lodge. It wasn't built until 1924, 18 years after her death, but it is said the rustic but elegant hotel represents the sort of place the young woman had hoped to spend her honeymoon. Or it could be the nicest place that is closest to where she died. And she just kind of went there. We've seen this with other ghost stories where that's where the people are. So that's where the ghosts went. Grace has been known to make her presence clear in the lodge and has said to turn lights on and off as a thing with lights. And some employees have glimpsed a luminescent female figure standing in a second floor window. As well, when the lobby is deserted, guests coming in late at night sometimes see what one lady described as a vaporous girl in old-fashioned clothes standing on the staircase landing. She appears only momentarily, and then she disappears. But apparently, after she's gone, it allegedly stays cold for a few moments after. One summer night in 1988, several employees of the Cofield Lodge, Cove Wood Lodge, on Big Moose Lake, including Rhonda Beslot, 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 were approaching the staff lodge. Rhonda led the pack, unaware that someone or something might be waiting inside. I walked into the staff lodge, straight up the stairs with my hand out, reaching for the string, which is how to turn on the light. As I approached the top of the stairs, and just before I was ready to turn on the light, a feeling came over me that somebody was right there. More or less, I stopped in my tracks and really just didn't move. I didn't have an overwhelming fear of fright, but something definitely or someone was there and it just kind of took my breath away. But the real show was outside. According to Rhonda, her friends were witnessing a spine-tingling vision. All three of them had the exact same story. 
It lingered for just a few seconds and then moved away. All three of them saw the ghost. I didn't see anything myself, but I felt somebody was right there. And it was just a strange feeling. Linda Lee Mackin had her own encounter with Grace Brown a few months after Rhonda's. I was walking down toward the lake with my flashlight and the light kept getting dimmer and dimmer. By the time I got to the edge of the water and the rocks, my flashlight wasn't working, so I had to turn around and go back. I was awestruck, and not only was I certain that I was looking at a ghost, but I had a very strong feeling of sadness. She was very sad. Another version of the story appeared on Unsolved Mysteries in May 1995 in a segment called Grace's Ghosts when they filmed apparently at the Covewood, so I think that's pretty freaking cool. They actually went to the location. One night while we're walking near Covewood Lodge, Miss Mackin claims her flashlight, camera, and watch all stopped working at the same time. Later, as she and a friend were sitting in the gazebo overlooking the lake, they observed a white mist in the vicinity of South Bay. It slowly floated in their direction. A mass gradually assumed what she said was a distinct female shape with feet trailing off in the haze. She said while she wasn't uncomfortable, she did feel incredibly sad. Apparently, Linda Lee Mackin, Mackin went on to write a book entitled Adirondack Ghosts. I wonder if her experience with Grace influenced her to do so. In the summer of 1999, guest Jim Dunning took a dip in the frigid waters of Big Moose Lake a little before 6 a.m. As he was headed for his swim, he noticed a single small wet footprint on the steps leading from the lake to the dock. No one was around, just the footprint. Then petite grace entered his mind and the hairs on the back of his neck stood up. Grace has also been experienced elsewhere, not just around Big Moose Lake and the place of her death. Another sighting reported to Unsolved.com from an anonymous source states, In the mid-1970s, I had two close encounters with Grace Brown's ghost at her home in South Osnick, New York. This is where she was living when she was working at the factory. I was awakened in the middle of the night by the sound of steps on the stairs between the first and second floors of the house. Some months later, again at Grace's home, I was playing cards with three friends in the dining room when we heard the rattling and banging of pots and pans in the kitchen. Upon checking the kitchen, of course, we witnessed no one there. Possibly, 
the most heartbreaking. The Spirit of Grace is often seen walking among the apple trees on the farm where she once lived with her family. Way before she met Gillette, way before she met, went and moved to the big city. In these instances, she appeared as happy as the happy, carefree young girl she was before she met him. According to the Lady Dicks podcast, there are many supernatural happenings surrounding the lake. It is said that every year in the late afternoon of July 11th, the anniversary of the tragic death of Grace Brown, a blood-curling scream disrupts the tranquility of Big Moose Lake. While the boat that Gillette rented was originally held in evidence, three years later it mysteriously disappeared. Shortly thereafter, reports of supernatural activity near the spooky old red brick building commence. Sightings were so frequent and witnessed by so many reputable citizens that the Herkimer Telegram ran the following article. The stories have it that the grim tragedy is frequently reenacted in the vicinity of the courthouse. That a boat with a ghost with ghostly figures of a man and woman are seen as though rowing on the water. The features of the man being those of Gillette. That at times a struggle ensues between man and woman when following a piercingly unearthly scream, the latter is hurled from the boat and disappears. Those braver hearted, it is said, have rushed upon the spectral figures in an effort to solve the mystery. Only as they reach the figures to have the scene vanish, they gasping but thin air. This, to me, sounds like residual energy. Chester Gillette's spirit has been seen around as well, other than just torturing poor Grace in the afterlife. His spirit has been seen in the boarded up building in Cortland that was once the Gillette skirt factory where he first met Grace. Around Big Moose Lake, a male phantom has been reported carrying a tennis racket and appears to be wearing a white shirt and light colored pants. Following Gillette's execution, prisoners confined to the cell once occupied by him in the Herkimer County Jail complained that something else was in the cell with them. On several occasions, everyone in the building was awakened by the terrifying screams of whoever was locked in the cell. In every instance, the man in question insisted he awakened and saw Gillette standing beside his cot. This made moving the frightened prisoner to another location necessary. And finally, 
the sheriff issued orders to use this particular cell only if all others were full. Reports of Gillette's ghost haunting the cell where he was incarcerated several months continued until the building was abandoned in 1977. That would be an interesting place to go ghost hunting. Just saying. What was once the Herkimer County Jail stands, still stands today, as well as the courthouse, which is property of the Herkimer County government and is currently headquarters for the Sheriff's Department. Tours of the area are given by the Herkimer County Historical Society. People entering the former jail sometimes feel that they describe a presence still to this day, and they can't help but wonder if it's Gillette's restless spirit still stalking its dark corridors. If anyone deserves a spiritual eternity in a small jail cell, it's definitely Gillette. The murder of Grace Brown has influenced, well, honestly, a lot of pop culture that you might not even recognize. In 1925, the Adirondack and ah, folk song, The Ballad of Big Moose Lake, was written, which I found a small clip of. I cannot believe how hard it was to find the lyrics to the song, which is probably a good thing because you don't want me singing it to you. But I found a small clip that sounds like these guys going around trying to save some of the old cultural histories, the handed down stuff that aren't recorded. And they're interviewing this little old lady who sings the song. So here's that. There was nothing to do in the evening. There was no television and no radio. And we used to pick berries all day and then hull berries all evening by the light of the kerosene lamp in the dark kitchen. Little tin pans on our laps. And Eloise singing to us. Helped to pass the time. When I was 10 years old and Dad had pneumonia, Harry Supernaw, his cousin, came and was staying with us and doing the cooking and helping to take care of us. And he used to sing for us in the evening, and Van and I would learn all these old songs and the American Tragedy song was one of them. The dreams of the happy are finished, and the score has been brought in at last. The jury has sent in its verdict, and the sentence on Juliet is passed. Two mothers are weeping and praying. One is praying that justice be done, and the other is praying for mercy, asking God to forgive her dear son, who is now down in Auburn's dark prison, where he soon must give up his young life, that might have been filled with great sunshine, had he taken Grace Brown for his wife. They started out on their vacation 
on the beautiful Big Moose Lake. Did she think as she plucked those white lilies that her young and sweet life he would take? Away from the ears of the people where no one could hear her last call and nobody knows how it happened but to let and the Lord knows it all. That's all I remember. He used to bake big pancakes in the morning and sing to us at night. It also inspired the 1925 Theodore Dreisler's novel, An American Tragedy, and a 1926 play, and a 2005 opera of the same name. The 1951 movie, A Place in the Sun, starring Elizabeth Taylor, Montgomery Cliff, and Shelley Winters, is probably the most famous take on the story. That being said, all of these take a sympathetic lean towards Gillette, usually portraying Grace as dowdy, obsessive, and annoying, just trying to ruin this man's life. To hell with the fact that he's using her. You know, that kind of thing. story of a boy from nowhere fighting desperately for his place in the sun torn between the conflicting passions that shaped his destiny montgomery clift dazzled by the radiant beauty of elizabeth taylor a girl so far above him she seemed like a goddess but only too human when he held her in his arms we'll think of something somehow whatever way we can we'll have such wonderful times together just the two of us Montgomery Clift, bound by the warm and vital appeal of Shelley Winters, the girl who clung to him with an overwhelming hunger for love. Oh, I've been wanting to do that for such a long time. So did I. Will we see each other again like this? It's up to you. You gotta be careful. One love grew in the shadows of the night, sealed by a secret they could share with no one. The other love flamed in the bright light of gaiety and laughter. A need that drove him with all the recklessness of youth itself. A dream that was built on deception. You lied to me, George, for the last time. Now I want you to come and get me. Yes, uh, I'll come down in the morning. And if you're not here in half an hour, I'll come where you are. I'll tell them everything, George, I mean it. You too will know the fears, the desperation that claimed him as fate weaves the strange fabric of his life. For A Place in the Sun is a story that will forever hold a place among your greatest dramatic memories. Is your name George Eastman? Yes. You're under arrest.
I hope you enjoyed my voiceover on those ones. Yeah. Poor Grace has not had the best since death. Now, I remember this segment when it first appeared on Unsolved Mysteries. And I remember really loving it. Like, I'm like, that. that is the experience I want to have with a ghost. Seeing the mist, the figure coming out of the lake. That's cool. I want that. Rewatching it, I do not remember how sympathetic it was to Grace. It was a lovely, lovely change from all the other adaptations of this story that were honestly really starting to piss me off. And then there's sweet Robert Stack's voice talking about Grace. And that's where I will leave you today. Decades later, Hollywood transformed the notorious case into a hit film, A Place in the Sun. Shelley Winters played Grace's character, a poor factory girl seduced and murdered by a faithless lover, Montgomery Clift, who was having a passionate affair with a beautiful young Elizabeth Taylor. Ironically, Hollywood portrayed Grace as dowdy, nagging, and shrewish. But in truth, Grace Brown was a naive, lovely 19-year-old who toiled at the Gillette Skirt Factory in Cortland, New York. The sordid story behind Grace Brown's murder provided rich fodder not only for a place in the sun, but Theodore Dreiser's acclaimed novel, An American Tragedy. Both versions, however, were very sympathetic to Chester Gillette, dismissing Grace as a woman of easy virtue. Perhaps Grace's ghost is unhappy with that portrayal. Perhaps that is why she haunts the place she spent her last tragic moments. Perhaps that is why she cannot rest. Thank you to everyone out there listening today. My Haunted Life podcast is written, researched, produced, edited, and hosted by me, Angela Hartshorn. If you're interested in more pictures, info, and my sources for this week's episode, please make sure to check out my website, myhauntedlifepodcast.com. And for everything, and I mean everything, check out the Patreon page, your one-stop shop for everything My Haunted Life podcast, where, if you choose to, you can totally help support the show for as little as $2 a month. I greatly appreciate all of my Patreons. They're, they're the freaking best. If you have information on today's episode, or like I said earlier, you know, if you're interested in helping review evidence, let me know. Email me at myhauntedlifepodcast at gmail.com. Or write to me on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. All at My Haunted Life Podcast. While you are there, please like and follow and comment. It honestly makes my day. And that's it for 
this show. This one went a little quicker than last week, let's be honest. I'll see you all next week on my Haunted Life podcast. And until then, stay spooky. <laughs>